He loves his juice. He drives around in a caboose. Something like that, right? I don't know. Ricky's boys are songwriters, and they made up a Freddie song that we're still trying to push to get, like, come on, let's do it. Uh, my name's Vince, and I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new, uh, welcome. And uh, this morning, we're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 11. And uh, while you're flipping your Bibles open there, I'm going to go on and pray for our time here. Lord, we, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Lord, for the promise that where two or three are gathered, you are there with us. So we know that you are here with us now. And Lord, we ask that your spirit open our eyes so that we would see Christ, that your spirit open our hearts so that our hearts would be changed by Christ. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right. So it's a crazy season, right? It's a crazy season season. We've got a lot going on, and there are, there have been all sorts of, you know, blogs and TV shows, and like everything is talking about how crazy and how tough of a season it is. But you know what? In the midst of that, there are still reasons to be grateful. There's still things that are hopeful for us. And what are some of those things? Well, you know, uh, first thing is, is our church, through both online and in person, you know, tracking, we haven't seen a, a major decline in, in attendance during this pandemic season. Why is that good? Well, that tells us that people that the Lord has brought here see that it's important that they connect at least with the Lord. You know, we may be, we may be distant, but we're not distant from the gospel. We're, we're still engaging with the gospel. Uh, so I'm grateful for the technology also that allows that to happen through online means, through Zoom and, and other things like that. I am grateful for what some would categorize as governmental missteps in the handling of the pandemic. Why am I grateful for that? Because those things remind me that the king that we follow never makes a misstep. He never second guesses his decisions. He never makes a wrong decision. He always does the right thing. So I'm grateful for those missteps. As a reformed person, I am grateful that the only election that matters is the election of the Father. Man, what a, what a, see there's a reason we call them the doctrines of grace. What a grace that is. When you think about that, that's the only election that really matters. And I'm grateful for the fact that classes don't matter in the kingdom. You know, whether you're blue collar, white collar, what, what ethnicity you come from, what you used to do when you were younger, all of that stuff doesn't matter in the kingdom. What matters is you're a follower of Christ. That's what matters. What a grace that is. And, and one day, one day, when we're all fully brought into that kingdom, the least in that kingdom is going to be greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is the guy that Jesus said, hey, among those born of men, none is greater than John the Baptist. So like on that day, me, the least in the kingdom of God, is going to be greater than the greatest man that was ever born. That's, that is another grace. That's something that we can be grateful for. And it's Christmas time. 
You know, I'm, I love Christmas. I'm a Christmas guy. And so I'm always grateful for Christmas. It's the time that we focus on the birth of Christ and what that means, who he was born for, his people, and what that means to us. Our king was born. A gift was given. Sacrifice for our sins was, was started at the birth in Bethlehem. And today, I am especially grateful for Freddie the Moose, who is on the loose, and for his approach to Christmas. You know, one of the best things probably to come out of the pandemic is Freddie. And I am especially grateful for him today. And you might be wondering, why? Well, his approach to Christmas... I think is indicative or illustrative of many of our approaches to Christmas. You know, we, we got to get the cards out, but before we do that, we got to take the perfect picture, and then we got to like get it just the perfect size where it fits within the card and it's not bigger than the card, and then we got to send the cards out to people. I found out this last week that the, the, the Christmas cards are really kind of a southern thing, and I was like, oh, interesting. Well, we're in the south-ish. El Paso is kind of like in its own weird section as far as like, are we south? Are we north? Like, we're El Paso, dude. So I love that. But we got to get everything decorated on the house. We got to get the tree in the perfect place with the perfect lighting, with the perfect ornaments. So that Christmas is perfect. We got to get all of our cookies done just perfectly. Right? It's how we do it. It's the most wonderful time of the year, except for all of the stress of trying to get it perfect. The sad thing is, we don't only approach Christmas that way. Many times we approach our faith that way too, right? We, we approach our faith with this like, man, everything's got to be just so. Like you can see evidence of that on Instagram, you know, Bible, coffee, Pin, journal, hashtag blessed. Like that, that's how we approach our faith. You've got to have the, the leather-bound journal with the, the I don't know, calfskin, goatskin Bible. You've got to have a coffee cup that says something inspirational on it. And those things outflow into the rest of our lives, right? That's how it works. And we, we may think, ah, we may say, nah, there's no checklist, Vince. There's, there's, no, there's no like formula to get this right. But in our practice, our practice says something different. Why can I say that? I, I, I can say that with confidence because when, when unbelievers say, man, I don't want to be a Christian because of all the rules you guys have to follow, they get those rules from us. They get that checklist from us. That checklist that they don't want to keep comes from us and our practice. The truth is, many times, our faith can look more like the faith of the Pharisees than the faith that Jesus instructed us to have. Religious punctiliousness. Ricky used that word a few weeks ago, and I was like, man. That's a great word. And it's like, I think I know what that means. Like, pretty sure, but I'm not sure. So I looked it up. 
And sure enough, it sounds exactly, I mean, it means exactly what it sounds like it means. Like religious punctiliousness. Attention to detail or correct behavior. Wow, that's us, isn't it? We have to do these things in order to be accepted. We, that, that type of religion, it does nothing but burden people. It doesn't free people. It doesn't give people rest. It stacks up a load on top of them that before you know it, they just can't walk. And they're like, oh, this is horrible. That's not restful. But you know what? There's hope. Today, we're going to see that Jesus was born for the burdened. Jesus was born for those who, who have a load on them that they're carrying. Today, we lit the, the third candle of Advent, the hope candle. It's the pink one. It's the one that's a different color. You may be wondering, why has it got a different color? Well, it's because it's the hope candle. You can read about that later. We don't have time. But why hope? Well, it's because Jesus came to give hope to those struggling under the yoke of religious duty. Those who feel like they have all of these things to do in order to be right with God. And you know, we, we can even see evidences of that kind of stuff when something happens good to one of our friends. And we're like, man, you must be living right. Or we ask questions like, hey, what kind of prayers are you saying? Because we want to we wanted do the same thing, right? We see God did something for him. Jesus came to give hope to those who struggle with never being able to keep even their own measure of righteousness. You know, a lot, of, a lot of studies and questions have been asked of people of, hey, are you able to keep even your own standard of righteousness? And the answer is always no. So if we can't keep our own standard, we definitely can't keep God's standard. But Jesus came for those who are struggling under that burden. See, there's good news in 2020. Jesus was born for the burdened. All right, so let's jump in. Matthew 11, starting in verse 28. Jesus says these words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So you may be sitting there thinking, you know what, Vince, I'm not, I'm not really burdened by religious duties. Like, I, I think I'm good there. Well, have you ever said something like, hey, I'd really love to serve there, but I'm not ready? Or, hey, you know what? Kids ministry sounds like a fun place, but I don't, I mean, like, I don't really know if I should be, like, leading kids or teaching kids. I'm, I'm not like, I'm not like Miss Teresa. That's, you're putting a standard there. Or maybe you've thought, hey, I can't share my faith with someone. I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't know enough to be able to like go and tell people about Jesus because I just don't know. Maybe you think, hey, a real Christian wouldn't drink, smoke, or chew or associate with those who do. That, 
This is an easier crowd than the first service. First service, it was like pin drop silence, and I, I had to like give them the, the cue, my cue. Hey, that's like a joke, only not funny. And then they go, ha ha, you're not funny. Maybe you feel like if you don't read your Bible one day, you're a bad Christian. Maybe you feel like if you don't try hard enough, God will never accept you. Maybe you think that, that you were good enough so Jesus saved you, and that if you, if you do too many bad things, he will unsave you. Maybe those are some of the thoughts that you have. So you keep a list of things that you have to do running, and, and you do them, and the drudgery of this list is never-ending, and you feel like there's no break, there's no rest, there's no joy, and there's no end. This list just keeps going, growing and growing and growing. You know, recently I was talking with a friend of mine who uh, brought up the recycling uh, situation here in El Paso and that they'd stopped recycling. Now, I know the recycling department all caught COVID, okay? This is not like indicting those guys. I hope and pray that they have already or are on the road to recovery. But it's kind of draws a parallel between the way the government operates and the way that this list of ours operates, okay? So I'm telling my friend, well, don't you mean like they went to two weeks? He's like, no, they went to two weeks, and then they just quit entirely. And I was like, oh, so are they, are they going to give us a reduction in our bill? And he looks at me like, you know that's not how it works, man. And I was like, well, I guess you're right, but we could hope, right? And uh, then I was talking with another friend about this, and, and he said, yeah, not only are they not going to cut our rates, when they restart, they're actually going to raise our rates. And I was like, no! but you're right. But you know, they'll, they'll come up with something to make it more palatable, right? They'll, they'll come up with some flashy name like a, a fuel charge or a technology fee or an environmental fee to make us go, oh, okay, it's, it's going to something at least. That's how the list of religious duties works. It never shrinks. It never gives back. It never gives a refund. It never gets easier to bear. It only grows and grows and grows. How does it grow? Well, it grows through either our interpretation of those duties changes and, and stacks more up, or our like feeling of like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, woo! And then we think, I, I can't be doing this well if I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. And so we add to it, right? We add to it. And if we're working hard to earn God's favor, Jesus breaks in and he says, come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. See, oftentimes, religious work lays a heavier burden on us than our sin ever did. Why is that? Well, because for one, when we were in our sins, we loved our sins. Sinners love their sin. I know I loved mine. It didn't put that big of a burden on me. But when, when the Lord changes our hearts and makes us hate our sin, and we start loving the Lord, and we think, man, we got we to gotta do all these things, right? We got we to gotta do, do this, and then we got to serve, and then we got to give, and then we got to, like, give, I mean, serve outside of the church, and, like, we, gotta, we just got all this stuff we got to do, do, do. 
we forget that that puts a burden on us. Much heavier than our sin sometimes because we're thinking now someone who's saved would be doing this stuff. And and Jesus, to that, Jesus invites us to come to him. Come to me. Why? So that he might give us rest. And if you've ever thought that you could earn your way to God and find rest through never-ending work and never-ending lists of rules and things that you have to do and expectations, you've never experienced the rest of Jesus. And look, we're all looking for rest this year, aren't we? We all are. I mean, I'm, I'm one of those guys, again, I love Christmas, but I got certain rules about Christmas, okay? I'll start listening to Christmas music publicly October 1st. Yeah, we can talk after the service if you want to. But I do that. But like, decorations, they don't happen until Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. You got to let Thanksgiving be thankful, you know, just in itself. Not this year. This year, one of my neighbors, like, I want to say October 1st. It was early October. They already had their tree up in their window. They had the lights along their fence. Like, man, they are decorated up. And I, I drove by and was like, whoa, whoa. That's, that's a bit early. And then I got to thinking, hmm, maybe I don't love Christmas as much as I say I do if I'm not decorating in October. But then, first weekend in November, what happened? I broke my own rule. Broke my own rule and decorated. Why? Man, we're looking for rest. This year's, this year's tough sometimes, man. And it's like, hey, you know what? Let's shed some light early. Let's give hope early. Let's point people to the hope of the Messiah born in Bethlehem a few weeks early. Why not? It couldn't hurt, right? We're all looking for rest. And we think, hey, even, even folks like me who, man, like I'm coming to the end of the year. I still got gas in the tank. I'm still good. It's like, yeah, you know what? The quicker we get to Christmas, the quicker we're done with this year. And maybe, just maybe, 2021 will be a little different. Doubt it. Oh, did I say that out loud? But the thing is, Jesus is the only one that offers rest, not a new year, not anything else that we may search for rest in. It's not Christmas. It's not Thanksgiving. It's not any other thing that we think, oh, yeah, if I just do that, that'll give me rest. If I do that, that'll that'll make it where I don't have to work anymore. You know, the song we were singing earlier really captures this this longing and this desire for rest for all of us. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Oh, man, in sin and error pining. They were waiting, they were hoping for something different. See, Jesus was born for the burdened, burdened by both sin and error, and, he, and waiting. Those folks were waiting for the right time. They were hoping for hope, but they didn't see any of it ever coming to fruition. And Christmas... The birth of Jesus, God is answering that longing. 
Advent, this longing for the coming of the Messiah is answered in Bethlehem. Born a, a baby who's born a king yet would die like a criminal. Born, the, the immortal born, yet he would die on a cross. Born sinless, yet would be killed for the sins of his people. That is why the song goes on. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. See, working and, and trying to earn it makes us feel worthless. And then comes Christ. And our soul finally feels its worth. See, we're all weary. We were all weary. We were all hopeless. And then out of darkness, light comes. And with the light, hope comes. Hope for a better way. Hope for a better, better operation than just work. But how? How does that, how does this better thing work? Well, Jesus answers that question with, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So we're weary, we're burdened, hope is gone, souls are tired, and Jesus is like, hey, come to me if you're tired. I'll give you rest. Okay, Jesus, how, how do we do that? He's like, take my yoke. Now, look, it's 2020. Maybe not all of us know what a yoke is. A yoke is a, a wooden utensil that's used to link two oxen so that they could pull farming equipment, okay? This thing means a lot of work. I thought you said rest, Jesus, and now you're talking about a yoke. That doesn't sound very restful. Well, check this out. The yoke, there was always an older ox and a younger ox, okay? So always one is in training. And the younger ox, he would get no load, okay? In a sense, the yoke was the older ox's. And all this other one does is, is kind of let it rest around his neck and it, it kind of touches him every now and then. And he's just kind of walking there learning the commands of the farmer and learning how to walk between the aisles and, and the rows. And, and he's just figuring things out. He's not pulling anything. It was the older ox's yoke. And Jesus is saying, take my yoke. He's not saying, hey, get yoked up and let's work. He's saying, no, take my yoke. And you don't have to do any of the work. You can take my yoke. I'll do it all. Because I can do it all. That's the image that he's using. And he's saying, saying, take this yoke up and do what? Learn from him. Well, what do we learn? What is, hold on. What do we learn? We learn who Jesus is. See, and in doing so, we find that we don't just come to him because of what he does for us. We come to him because of who he is. And who is he? He's the one who's gentle and lowly in heart. You know, this, this verbal construction in the Greek is the strongest form of being. Some people call it the emphatic, but... I don't want to go necessarily that far, but it is like it is like I am. You know, we talk a lot about John and the seven I am statements in John and how they're all the ego a me. This is an ego a me. And he's talking about the state of his heart. I am 
gentle and lowly in heart. That's what we learn about Jesus. We learn who he is. Dane Ortland writes of this. In the one place on, in the Bible where the Son of God pulls back the veil and lets us peer way down into the core of who he is, we're not told that he is austere and demanding in heart. We're not told that he is exalted and dignified in heart. We're not even told that he is joyful and generous in heart. Letting Jesus set the terms. His surprising claim is that he is gentle and lowly in heart. You know, when the Bible speaks of the heart, it's not talking about emotions. You know, we oftentimes equate our, our heart with our emotions, and, and we conjure up images of the heart with the arrow piercing through it and someone's name on it, right? And we're like, oh, the heart. But no, it was the center of being in the Bible. It's who you really are. Dane Ortland says it's what gets you out of bed in the morning. It's what drives you. It's what fuels every interaction you have. It's the heart. And Jesus is saying that he is gentle and lowly in heart. It's not that he acts gentle you know, every now and then, but that he is gentle. Jesus doesn't say that he has an attitude of lowliness in heart. No, that his heart is lowly. Dane Ortland goes on to say that, that lowly is meaning accessible. He's accessible to people. We can come to him. That's a, a, a totally different picture than what we see in other world religions, isn't it? Between their leader versus our leader. Go read some of their books if, if you're not familiar with some of the other religious leaders of our time. But think about this. No other religious leader, political personality, brand ambassador, many of our bosses uh, or other people in, in places of authority or power, they're not generally described as gentle and lowly, are they? Normally they're not. There are a few examples that prove that rule. Sorry, there are a few examples. They would be the exception that proves that rule. Man, sometimes words are hard. <laughs> so here's, here's just one quick example. Alexander Hamilton. You know, we look at the, the, the musical. Man, great musical. Love it. But it like brings back into focus how politics worked back then, right? Man, the ad hominem attack, like attacking the person rather than the idea, that was how they went. Is it any different today? The attacks on not only the, the person, but maybe even their, their followers, their group of supporters. And Jesus is saying, hey, I am not that. Because that is the opposite of gentle and lowly. Jesus is saying, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Come to me. Learn from me. Learn from me who I am. Don't learn from yourself and all of your ideas of what you think I expect. Learn from me who I truly am. Oh, and find rest for your souls because Jesus is the one who can give that rest. And look at this invitation. Who's it extended to? 
all, all who labor and are heavy laden. That's good news. It's good news for us. That's great news for us. Jesus is is gentle and lowly and he extends this to all who labor and are heavy laden. He's gentle enough not to rebuke or condemn the woman caught in adultery just to admonish her, do not do not sin any longer. He's he's lowly and accessible enough that a tax collector named Levi would come to him and become his follower and repent of his wickedness. So you don't need to get your life together to come to Jesus. Come with your burdens. Come heavy laden and find rest for your soul. That's the offer. That's the offer. Come to me, all who weary and are heavy laden. He doesn't say, hey, come to me after you get rid of your burdens and you, and you quit working so hard. No, come, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. It's a gift. You don't have to earn it. It's given freely by the one who can give anything. That's because that is who he is. And we come to him because of who he is. He will not turn away one who truly comes. That's what scripture says in Isaiah 42. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. It's true because in his very being he is gentle and lowly in heart. What hope for the burdened, right? What grace for the burdened. Christ was born for you if you are burdened so that we might find rest for our souls in him. How? We come to him. We come to him. Look, Jesus isn't this way to everyone. Jesus isn't gentle and lowly in heart to just everybody. He's gentle and lowly in heart to those who come to him and who take his yoke upon him. But in the verses right before this, he's he's not gentle and lowly with these other cities who will not repent, who will not come to him. Those who won't repent and won't come, he makes this statement. It's going to be better for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. But if you come to him, he's gentle and lowly. But you must come. Dane Ortland says gentle and lowly does not mean mushy and frothy. Doesn't mean like, oh, hey, you know, hey, you can come on your own terms. No, you come on his terms. You take his yoke. But you must come to the repentant. Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. Orlin goes on to say his heart of gentle embrace is never outmatched by our sins and foibles and insecurities and doubts and anxieties and failures. For gentle lowliness is not one way Jesus occasionally acts toward others. Gentleness is who he is. So if you haven't come to him in repentance to take his yoke upon you, Won't you come now? What's holding you back? 
what's keeping you from coming to him. It's not Jesus. He's there waiting. Arms stretched out. He's waiting to touch you like he did the leper. Make you clean. He's ready to embrace you like the father did his son who had run off and, and kind of went wild. He's waiting there. Won't you come? He goes on to say, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Think about the difference between Jesus and the other religious leaders of his time. He, he said of them, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Jesus says, hey, come to me. Take my yoke. I'm pulling it all. I'm doing it all. I'm, I'm not going to put a burden on you. The burden is on me. You just walk with me. Learn from me. Learn about me. You know, another way to translate the word that, that is easy here would be kind. Why would Jesus' yoke be kind and his burden light? Oh, think of what he's done. Think of what he's done already. He's, he's taken God's full wrath against our sin on himself, right? He's paid the price of our sin. He's earned all of the righteousness that could ever be earned. And he then gives that to us through faith. Man, he's done it all. He's done what we could never do. That's why his invitation to take up his yoke is so unique and hopeful for the burdened. See, Christ was born for the burden. Won't you come? Won't you come? I'm going to finish with another Dane Ortland quote. He says, His yoke is kind, and his burden is light. That is, his yoke is a non-yoke, and his burden is a non-burden. What helium does to a balloon, Jesus' yoke does to his followers. We are being buoyed along in life by his endless gentleness and supremely accessible lowliness. He doesn't simply meet us at our place of need. He lives in our place of need. He never tires of sweeping us up into his tender embrace. It is his very heart. It is what gets him out of bed in the morning. He was born for the burdened. So won't you come now to him? Lay your burdens down and take up his yoke. And his burden, because it's a non-yoke and it's a non-burden. So that's who he is. Let's pray. Lord, what grace that your son said these words to us. That your son still says these words to us. When we read the scriptures, he speaks these words to us. And he is speaking them to us now. 
and saying, come to me. So Lord, if there is someone here today, either in person or online, who has not come to you, Lord, we pray that they come and they, they lay their burdens down and they, they take up Christ's yoke and Christ's burden. Lord, if there are those here who, who have come, but, but yet we, we sometimes accumulate our own burdens along the way, Lord, help us to come lay them down and to take up Jesus' true yoke and his true burden. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and close out?